Hey everyone, this is Eliza D, and welcome back for another episode of How to Save the Planet, a show where we interview people who have jobs in climate change or environment. Now, let's get started. With us today, we've got Scott Breen. Scott Breen is the Vice President of Sustainability at the Can Manufacturers Institute, or CMI. CMI represents U.S. can manufacturers and suppliers. His responsibilities include promoting the can as a sustainable slash circular package, making sure federal and state legislation and regulation do not disadvantage the can, and leading the industry's efforts to build upon the can's industry's leading recycling rates. Scott's roles prior to CMI were Associate Manager of the Sustainability and Circular Economy Program at the U.S. Chamber of Conference Foundation and Attorney Advisor at the National Oceanic, Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. Along with his position at CMI, Scott also explores various aspects of sustainability as the creator and co-host of the environmental podcast, Sustainability Defined. Hello and welcome, Scott, to How to Save the Planet. Yeah, thanks, Eliza. Happy to be here. Yeah, so great that you're here. So I know that you're like um, environmental, an environmental podcaster, and you also have a job in like sustainability, environmentalism. So mm-hmm. can you tell me about your like professional job and where you work? Sure. So my day job is as vice president of sustainability at the Can Manufacturers Institute. So CMI for short, CMI is a trade association. It represents U.S. metal can manufacturers and their suppliers. So you can think of the companies that manufacture things like aluminum beverage cans, steel food cans, metal aerosol cans. And what's nice about these cans is that they're made of a material, aluminum and steel, that can be recycled forever. And they're very high value, so recyclers want them. And what's nice is that we have high recycled content. You think like the aluminum beverage can. It averages 73% recycled content. So we make these things into new cans. So you've got metal that recycles forever. There are high economic values, so they help drive the recycling system. And we make them into new cans so that can be recycled at the end of their useful life. So it's kind of the circular economy and recycling at its best. And I'm very proud to be representing uh, the can manufacturers. Yeah, nice. How did you get to be vice president of CMI? Oh, well... Uh, it was some luck and some hard work. <laughs> so I did go to law school. I think we're going to talk about that a little bit later, but <laughs> yeah. I did a law degree, a master's degree. And I, I have that sustainability podcast you mentioned on the side. So I think this mix of communications background, policy experience. I also worked at the U.S. Chamber of Commerce Foundation, helping to manage their sustainability and circular economy program. That involved working with a lot of different partners. And while I was there, I led the recycling initiative. So I had experience working with putting, bringing together initiatives with a lot of different partners, uh, experience and connections within recycling. So all of that added up, the communications, the policy slash legal experience, the partnership experience, and the knowledge within recycling to being positioned to help lead the, reci- the sustainability program for the Can Manufacturers Institute. Nice. How long were you in the field of like environmentalism and sustainability before you got that position at CMI? Oh my goodness. Well, I've always been focused on it. Uh, mm-hmm. I actually traced my interest back to when I was 13 years old 
And you... I was at Camp Timberlane for boys in Monaco, Wisconsin. And what's great about Camp Timberlane, for, there's many things that are great about Camp Timberlane, but one is that we have a robust outdoor trips program. And there's ones as short as three days that you have campers at nine, 10 years old that are going on. And what we call the granddaddy trip, a 12 day trip to Quetico Provincial Park. I did not think of myself as an outdoorsy kind of person. You know, my parents really didn't take me camping or anything, but I did go on trips at camp. And when I got older, I had heard so many counselors tell me, oh, I wish I could go on a 12 day trip. I wish I did that when I was a camper. Uh, and I kind of took that to heart. So I went for it, did the 12 day trip. I loved being out there in nature. It got me thinking about how these areas were protected, what I can do to play a part in that sort of thing. And I didn't really act on it in high school. Even when I went to college at Georgetown University, I was focused on politics, economics. And it wasn't until I realized I could do the environmental studies minor there, where I said, okay, I really like the environment. Let's take some classes in it. And once I realized that my interest in politics and economics could be applied in the environmental context, that's what really got me going. I said, I want to do this. So that's when I went to grad school and all of my jobs, and we can talk about them, have been environmental focused. So I trace it back to that 12-day trip and been trying to work in it and advance the field and do something meaningful in it since then. Nice. Um, so you mentioned Georgetown University. Um, what like specific degrees did you get? And was that the only college that you went to? That was the only college I went to. Nice. And I got a major in political economy, which is basically like double minoring in government and economics, uh, for political economy. And then I actually had two minors, environmental studies and philosophy. Uh, so I don't know if anyone else graduated from Georgetown with such a combination, but uh, it worked for me. That's so cool. And in your experience, I know like a lot of people, like my parents, they went to like multiple universities, yeah. but did you like just staying at one school for all of your like post high school education? Well, I, I'd say so in the sense that for my four years of undergrad, I was at Georgetown. I love that experience. I love that it's a Catholic school. I'm, I'm Jewish, but having that, being exposed to that different way of thinking uh, was, was nice. Uh, but being near a big city where there's so many events and so many things to engage on, I actually was a tour guide at Georgetown. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I would end on being a tour guide is that I would tell people that were interested in the school, and I believe this, that when you go to school in DC, whatever you're interested in, there's a national center for that. And you can go <laughs> and go help and get amazing experience, right? So I love that. But when I went to graduate school and I got a law degree and a master's of public affairs, I actually went to Indiana University Bloomington. So a public school, big public school. The graduate programs I was in, much smaller, but it was nice to go from a private, smaller, in a big city school for undergrad, and then for graduate school, go to a big time state school in the middle of the country. So I liked having both experiences. Yeah, I, I can see how that like both affected where you are now and how that right. served your interest. Plus, I have two basketball teams to root for, so that's good too. <laughs> that's great, yeah. Yeah. If one loses, you can be like, actually, I'm rooting for this other one. Sorry. Exactly. Yeah. I, I'll go with whichever one's doing doing better. <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> Why do you do this environmental and sustainability work that you do? What keeps you going? And well, it's a good question. I mean, first of all, I would say that what 
interests me in about it and keeps me going is that it's complicated. You know, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of science to understand, first of all, and I'm not a scientist, but it's fun understanding you know, how our natural system operates and how we can go about minimizing our impact on it. You know, nature is already pretty well set up and it can also it has an amazing ability to fix itself if we just don't get in the way. Uh, so there is that that interests me. The other part is that I love setting up partnerships, working with other people, being collaborative. Sometimes it seems easy on paper to set these things up, but then when you get into the nitty gritty of it and have to sort out the details, who's going to do what, who has the money, who, who has the, who's going to do, who has the skills that we need to bring to the table. And it's fun to, to work with other people to get those things off the ground and to see something brought to life that wouldn't exist without your efforts and your thinking. Uh, so I like that my job allows for that creativity and having that sort of impact and not just necessarily being somebody who's in the weeds on something that already exists. And that's important too, but I like that I can be creative and stand things up. Yeah, this this crisis just allows for so much room for people to like bring their own yeah. individual self and, you know, all the stuff. Mm-hmm. Agreed. What does climate justice or like environmental justice, as some people would refer to it as, mean to yeah. you and your vice president role as, as at CMI and everything else that you do? Yeah, I mean, climate justice and environmental justice, I mean, the first thing to note is that I, I've lived a priv privileged life, in my opinion, be it just a supportive family, living in a, a safe place where I never worried about, you know, my health, be it just from physical violence or the surrounding environment around me. So it, honestly, growing up, it just wasn't a thing that I considered. And the more you read about people who can't trust their drinking water, can't trust that when they go to the playground, they're not going to be exposed to something in the soil uh, that can't trust when they run outside that they're not breathing in harmful air. And it just is not, it was not on my radar, you know, when I was younger. And even now I don't worry about those where I live in Washington, DC. And I am thankful that we have things like the clean air act and the clean water act that by and large have done a lot to, improve the environment in which we live, right? But we still have a problem in this country and around the world uh, ensuring that the impacts of the way we develop, the way we manufacture, the way we live, uh, that those aren't disproportionately burdening people of a certain class or a certain race. And that is something that we need to take seriously and my hope is that I, federal, that at the government, at private business, that we take the actions necessary to foster climate justice and create environmental justice, right? Because mm -hmm. it's, it's tough work. It's easier said than done. Yeah. And we're failing in some ways, but um, it's certainly an issue that's getting more attention and it should. Yeah. Um, well, on a different note, what podcast do you co-host? Ah, yes. So I co-host the Sustainability Defined podcast. We define sustainability one concept and one bad joke at a time. 
I've always wondered, like, why do you include, like, the one bad joke? Because on your website, which I'll link in the episode description, like, is there some, like, advertising or something that have shown to, like, make people more, like, drawn to your podcast? Because, I mean, it's a pretty heavy topic. So when you include, like, one bad joke, like, why did you choose to um, have that such, like, a selling point? I mean, it's it's purposefully done because Mm -hmm. we want people – we want this to be approachable. We want it to be engaging. We don't just want it to be fact after fact or anecdote after anecdote. We want a little bit of levity, not only because it's more entertaining, but because I think by having that pause in the seriousness and pause in the the substance, it allows people to breathe, right? And to digest the other things we're telling them in an easier way. So... Yeah, we we do that on purpose. We included that in the tagline on purpose so that people know, okay, it's not just going to be doom and gloom on this podcast. Uh, and it's not it's not just doom and gloom because we have the bad jokes, but also because we are also very conscious of every episode. There's a whole section in the introduction. So each episode is focused on a different concept. Could be food waste, uh, climate change communication, sustainable apparel, whatever it is. We explain it in the first 15 minutes and then introduce or then interview an expert in the field. And in that introduction, we're always very careful to have a section around what you, the listener can do. So that it's, there's a bit of empowerment going on. Yeah. Nice. Well, that was a super clever idea. How did you like come up with the idea to Mm. do a sustainability podcast? So I have to certainly give some credit to my (laughs) co-host, Jay Siegel. We met at a networking event. Uh, there's a group called Net Impact. I don't know if you ever heard of it, Eliza, but it's uh, focused especially on students at in colleges, undergrad and graduate. There's different chapters. There's also professional chapters. And there's a professional chapter in DC. And I went to you know network and talk with people that are interested in corporate social responsibility, uh, sustainability, all that good stuff. And so I met Jay. We got to talking. And we exchanged business cards, as one does. And he emailed me later and said, you know, you have good bullshit conversational skills. I don't know if I can swear on this podcast, but I guess I just did. You uh, said it's good. I just did. All right. And, and he said, so well, I think we could start a podcast. You know, if you listen to podcasts, what do you think? I was a total podcast geek. And I said, I would love to give this a go. Why not? And so we met. We brainstormed the concept you know i don't think either of us remembers exactly who came up with what i'm sure it was sort of one of those things where it was like and why don't we include bad jokes and why don't we do it one concept at a time and we sort of just you know ripped off each other and we gave it a go it was earth or was it arbor day 2016 when we launched it so a while ago and we do it once a month and i would say for your listeners that are interested in you know how to advance their careers one of the things i always mention is generating content. It could be a blog. It could be LinkedIn posts, whatever. Just get your thoughts out there and it helps you learn and you know practice putting your thoughts in an organized, uh, persuasive way. But you, know, you never know what's going to lead. You know, Putting out this podcast, it's put me in touch with people I otherwise would not have put in touch been put in touch with. I mentioned that it was one of the things that helped get me my dream job that I'm doing right now. So I'm very thankful for it. And it was only because I took the risk and put myself out there. Yeah, definitely. 
how did you I I was like looking on your website earlier and I saw that like it wasn't just you and Jay doing the yeah. podcast you had like a bunch of people like re- researchers etc working totally. in the like behind the scenes a little bit how did you find those people well one of them is my mom so that wasn't too hard to find uh, <laughs> uh there were others there's a woman named Shannon Parker who is a graduate student at Duke University who just emailed us that I really like the podcast. How can I help? We get those emails quite a bit, honestly, many more than we can handle. And so she's a volunteer. We have a guy, Matt Aarons, who does our social media and he's a, oh, we actually pay him. So we do pay him because it's, it's a big job. So uh, he helps with that. Uh, we have another person, Keaton uh, Butler, Keaton Butler, who, edits our episodes. And oh my God, that's been a time saver. So yeah, it's it's a team effort. Uh, we have help on the research, on the editing front and on social media. That's great. Um, One last thought. What encouragements okay. or hopeful thoughts could you give our listeners around making a difference in this climate crisis? Yeah, well, well, shoot, I think there's two levels to think about it. I mean, one is things that might be a little bit beyond an individual person's control <laughs> about things like uh, countries joining the Paris climate agreement I think or, the United or, States, or taking themselves out of it. <laughs> yes. We're the only ones not in it, but yes, that sucks. And hopefully that changes very soon. Yeah. But at the same time, every country in the world signed that other than us. So oh, we did sign it initially. Right. So yeah, what is something to celebrate. And countries are making commitments. They're researching. Uh, we've made amazing progress on things like renewable energy deployment, right? So my hope is that we realize at the highest levels that this isn't an either or thing, that we can recreate our economies and the way we measure growth and have this be something where we become more prosperous at the same time, we are reducing our footprint on the environment. And really, it's like a selfish thing to do. We'll be better off. Like, you know, it's it, some people, it sounds, sometimes people might say, oh, it's a hippy dippy thing or something to reduce your footprint. But it's like, we depend on the environment for so much. You think about all the ecosystem services, say, that uh, pollinators provide. You don't really think about them, they're just doing their thing. But the more we can help things like pollinators, the better off we are. The less sea level rise that we create, the better off we are. So hopefully people see that we can reduce our impact, we'll be better off, and honestly, we can have a better, more resilient economy too. That is what I hope drives more change. And then just individually, there are things that people can do that are impactful. You think about things like thinking about your diet. I'm not a vegetarian. I probably should be. It's just, they're so delicious. I'm sorry. I, it's hard to totally give it up, but I'm very conscious of it. You know, if I have um, some sort of animal product, say for lunch, I'm not going to do it at dinner. You know, I kind of have a, it's not, I guess it's not too much to say, oh, I only have it once a day. But at the same time, just even cutting that bit out is a big deal. You think about reducing the amount of materials that you use. Um, recycling is important. Certainly metal can recycling has a big impact in terms of carbon savings and things like that. Uh, but if you can reuse things or 
reduce the you, what you use, that also has an impact. So uh, I hope that people don't get discouraged because you know, we can rise to this challenge and it's just a matter of committing to it and recognizing that there's going to be winners and losers in the kind of system we're creating. And I think it is a net win for sure. And the people that maybe do miss out because that's what happens when things change, we come up with a way to take care of them and to bring them in. Yeah. So it's an individual and community problem. And if you're selfish, you can still do stuff. Because yeah. It's yeah. Whatever, whatever framework people need. So, <laughs> so be selfish. That, that will help us. Well, selfish in the right way. Yes. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much, Scott, for joining us t- today on how to save the planet. I had so much fun talking with you. Thanks, Eliza. I had fun talking with you and kudos to you. I wish that I had your uh, entrepreneurial spirit and creativity in seventh grade, but I did not. So, uh, (laughs) you know, I'm excited to keep up with you and support you in in all your endeavors. So talk again soon. Thank you. Bye. See you later. Bye. Thanks so much, everyone, for joining us today for another episode of How to Save the Planet. See you next time.